Let's pray now and we'll ask God for his help. Our gracious God and loving Heavenly Father, we pray that as we reflect now on the actions and the words of Jesus, that we will understand better his glory and that we will put our trust in him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Dead bodies can do some strange things. A mate of mine started his pilot career uh, flying planes in northwest Australia out of a place called Derby. Uh, One of his jobs was to fly dead bodies from remote places into town. And he had lots of stories about strange noises that the bodies would make. Apparently they burp and flatulate and so on. Pretty scary. The most scary thing that ever happened to him was this. He was flying his plane by himself. A dead body was lying just behind him under a sheet. Uh, Suddenly he hears a noise, turns around, looks behind him, and the dead body sits up and goes, like that. Apparently as various gases escape from the body, that's what happens. Uh, My friend said there were nearly two dead bodies on their plane that day because he nearly had a heart attack, nearly crashed the plane. It gave him such a terrible fright. Some strange things can happen with dead bodies. But but one thing you will not see, you won't see a dead body coming back to life again. I've had the privilege of seeing the dead bodies of a number of people who I've known. Just a few weeks ago, I was sitting with the body of a friend of mine who I've known for many years as I spent time talking with her son. Uh, I've told you before, I think my weirdest experience with a dead body... Uh, was the body of a man who used to come to this church occasionally, a man, uh, a very interesting man by the name of Harold Duffel. When Harold died, he wanted special arrangements for his funeral. He wanted his body to be donated for medical experiments and he wanted very special arrangements for his funeral. Uh, he wanted there to be no coffin. So I remember conducting the funeral, just a, a few people there in the funeral home, that I stood there and right next to me in plain view with his head right there was Harold's body just lying there on a table pretty confronting. I have to say I'm glad that he didn't sit up and go like that, that would might have finished us all off on the day. Uh, I've had the privilege of dealing with numerous uh, dead bodies but, but the thing is this, they're all the same, there might be a little bit of gas left in them but there is certainly no life left in them. They're not going to get up, they're not going to rise up, they're like a teenager in the morning You can set off alarm clocks, you can yell at them, you can scream at them, you can tickle them, you can try to drag them. They're not getting up. Dead bodies are going nowhere. They will just lie there until someone buries them or burns them. It is an easily observable fact. You can prove it with any dead body. 100% of dead bodies. Ask any funeral, uh, funeral director. They will tell you, dead bodies do not rise. It is impossible it's impossible. Well, now as we come into chapter 5 of John's Gospel, it's time, it's time for one of the Jewish feasts. We never find out which feast it is, but Jesus comes back down from Galilee and heads up the mountain to Jerusalem. Uh, while he's there, he comes to a pool of water. This is a tradition that when the spring water comes in to refresh the pool, that it has healing powers, and so lots of sick people lie around the pool hoping for a cure. John chapter 5 and verse 1. Have a look with me. John chapter 5 and verse 1.
Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered columnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralysed. Jesus notices one particular man there. He's, he's lying down. He can't stand up. He can't rise up. He's, I guess, one of the paralysed people who are there. And, and we're told that he's been this way for 38 years, 38 years lying there. His body, as good as dead, he's going nowhere. Jesus addresses him, asks if he wants to be healed. And the man doesn't get what Jesus is talking about. He says, how can I be healed? I can't get up to go down to, to, to this water to be healed. And then Jesus does a miracle. He says to him, literally, rise up. And the man is instantly cured. No medicine, no surgery, no need for months of rehabilitation, no physiotherapy for his wasted muscles, no massage, no ultrasound. He goes from paralysed on the ground for 38 years to immediately standing up and walking around carrying a mat. And notice when Jesus does the miracle... It's a Sabbath day. Verse 5. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he'd been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I've no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, literally, rise up, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. Now, obviously what Jesus has done here is not possible. It is impossible that you can speak to a man who's been lying paralysed for 38 years and say, get up, pick up your mat and walk. It's not going to work. Try it sometime. Go to a nursing home, try this as an experiment. Find a paralysed person, say, paralysed person, rise up, pick up your pillow and walk. It's not going to happen. I guarantee you, 100%, it will not work. It is not feasible after lying down for 38 years that a man can just stand up, pick up his mat and walk. This is amazing. It's impossible. Although notice... Just notice as we keep going in the story that there is no one who denies that the miracle has happened. Not even Jesus' enemies. They don't like that he's done this miracle. They don't like when he's done it. They think he's done the wrong thing. But the fact of the miracle is incontrovertible. There is nobody who puts their hand up and says, sorry, you didn't actually rise up. It's just, it's there in front of them. It's happened before all of their eyes, in public. No one can deny it. Jesus has done the impossible. Of course, it's not the first impossible miracle of Jesus that we've seen so far in John's Gospel, is it? In fact, do you remember this is miracle number three? Remember miracle number three of the the seven miracles that John is going to show us to prove who Jesus is? Uh, do Do you remember what the first miracle was? Do you remember at the wedding in Cana, Jesus turned the... The water into wine, you remember that? And you remember the second miracle? Was it just, uh, was it just last week that we saw that one? Where, where Jesus speaks and the enemy's son is rescued from death. Now, as we've seen with those first two miracles, they were very significant. They had meanings to them. Water into wine, do you remember, signified the end of Jewish ceremonial washing, the beginning of the new age of, uh, uh, of salvation. 
second miracle showed that Jesus can give life even to, even to Gentiles, even to non-Jews. He is the saviour of the world. Do you remember? Well, now here's the third miracle. So what do you reckon? What, what do you think this one means? We're going to get a lot of clues later on. But, but so far, what have we seen? Jesus raises up a body that's been paralysed for 38 years. And when does he do it? I think it's very significant. He does it on the Sabbath. The Sabbath, of course, is the Sabbath is the last day. It's the last day of the week. It's the day when God rested with his people in the Garden of Eden. It, it, it pointed Israel forward to when they would be at rest in the Promised Land. And for us, we find out Hebrews chapter 4, for example, it points us forward to, to God's ultimate rest in the new heaven and the new earth, the ultimate Promised Land. So what's Jesus done? He's raised up a man's body on the last day. Interesting. Now, unfortunately, the Jewish religious authorities are not impressed. They don't deny the miracle, but they don't like it because, because they understand the Sabbath day as being a day of, of all these rules of what you can't do. They say you're not allowed to pick up your mat and walk on the Sabbath. And they point it out to the man who's been healed. Now, he, as it turns out, is not a terribly nice guy or a particularly brave guy either. So he, he blames the person who healed him halfway through verse 9. The day on which this took place was the Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Well, Jesus finds him again, catches up with him, and, and now, interestingly, Interestingly, notice what Jesus does with this man that he's raised up. He passes judgment on him. He says to him, you've been healed, you've been raised up, but unless something is done about your sin, it's not going to be good for you. You're going to be in trouble. What does Jesus mean? What's he talking about? Well, he means that the final raising up, when everyone is raised from the dead and faces judgment, this man will be in trouble. Verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See? You are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. Jesus has raised him up on the Sabbath day and now passed judgment. The man goes and dobs on Jesus straight away. Uh, the Jewish authorities question Jesus about why he's doing what they think is breaking the Sabbath. But then just in one sentence, Jesus, he, he challenges their whole view of the Sabbath. Jesus says to them, the way you define the Sabbath, the way you define all your rules of not working, God breaks the Sabbath. God is working on the Sabbath and he says, I'm doing the same. What's he saying? The Sabbath is not about rules for what you can't do. The Sabbath is about God establishing his kingdom and being in relationship with his people. It's God with his people in Eden. It's God with his people in the promised land. It's God with his people in heaven. And here is Jesus working on the Sabbath to bring in the kingdom, to, to bring people into relationship with God. Verse 15. Now the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jews persecuted him. Jesus said to them, My father is always at his work to this very day, and I too am working. 
religious authorities not convinced. In fact, they just get angrier. Uh, not only is Jesus healing on the Sabbath and breaking their rules, he's calling God his own father, putting himself on the same level as God. They reckon it's blasphemy. Verse 18. For this reason, the Jews tried all the harder to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So the authorities challenge Jesus about his relationship to God the Father. And so he takes the opportunity now to explain it to them. And it's very interesting, I think, this explanation that Jesus gives. And it's built on, um, it's built on a, a picture that, that would have been very, very common in those days. Perhaps not quite so common today, but it, it does happen today. So, for example, uh, this week we had a plumber come to my house. Uh, this plumber, he often has an apprentice. So the plumber does his work, and what the apprentice does generally a young guy, follows the plumber around, watches what he does and learns and, and repeats and, and does what, what, what the plumber does. Well, back in those days, pretty much everybody, every son was apprenticed to his father. So if your father was a carpenter, pretty sure you're going to end up following your dad around learning carpentry and you'll end up a carpenter yourself. Jesus picks up on that image and he says, I am like a son who is apprenticed to his father. I, I never act independently of my father. I follow my father's lead. I don't disobey my father. The, the son of God is a son in that sense. But notice, the son is in no way inferior to the father because Jesus says, whatever the father does, the son does. A and the father shows, it, shows the son everything. So, so everything the father can do, the son can do. Verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. I'll tell you the truth. The son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what, he, do what he sees his father doing because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. That's a fascinating couple of verses, don't you reckon? In fact, theologians have debated their significance for hundreds and hundreds of years in terms of the Trinity. But, but notice the relationship of Jesus with his father. He is equal to the father. Anything the Father can do, the Son can do. There is no inequality. And yet Jesus, like a son, submits himself to his Father and does what his Father shows him. Very interesting. But more than that, Jesus says, Jesus says, that is what I have done here in this miracle. I've done the will of my Father. But now get this, because Jesus goes on to say, this miracle, it's just a foretaste. It's just a little hint of the ultimate last day, the ultimate Sabbath, because on that last day, Jesus says, I'm going to raise up and give life not just to one paralytic, I'm going to raise up and give life to all of my people. I'm, not, I'm going to pass judgment not just on one person, I'm going to pass judgment on the whole of humanity. The Father has made me, says Jesus, life giver and judge. That is the will of God. And it is will because it is the Father's will because he wants everyone to honour the Son. Verse 20 again. The Father loves the Son and shows him all, his, all he does. Yes, to your amazement, he will show him even greater things than these. That is, greater than the miracle they've just seen of him raising the paralytic. For just as the Father raises the dead, and just interestingly, that word raises the dead, there is the same word Jesus used when he said, raise up, be raised up to the paralytic. Just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. 
Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son, so that all may honour the Son just as they honour the Father. He who does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. Are you starting to see the significance of Jesus' miracle? What did he do? Raised up a man on the last day and judged him. Can you see now, it's a kind of a, a model of what Jesus is going to do at the, at the ultimate last day. The other day we were cleaning out the lower hall because of all this, all this um, renovation that's happening here and we came across this model. It's around about a metre by a metre in length and it's, uh, all, all the little black things are rat poo um, for your interest. Uh, if this was real, that would be very, very large, scary rats, believe me, but it's not real, it's a model. Okay, it's around about a metre by a metre and what it does, it pictures what our development here was going to be like back when we thought we were going to have high-rise buildings and so on. Uh, this model is not the real thing, you'll be pleased to know. But it pictures the real thing. It gives you an idea what the real thing would be like. Thanks, brother. Jesus has raised the paralytic on the Sabbath day and given his judgment. Stop sinning or something worse will happen to you. Now Jesus says, on the ultimate last day, I'll do even greater things. I'll raise the dead and give judgment. Can you see how the miracle is like a model of what Jesus will do? That's genius, isn't it? So now Jesus talks about the present and the future. First, the present. God has loved this world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you believe in Jesus now, that last day will have no fear for you. If you believe in Jesus now, that last day will have no surprise for you. If you believe in Jesus now, you will not be condemned. You will live forever. Verse 24. Hold on to this verse. I tell you the truth says Jesus, the Lord Jesus, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He's crossed over from death to life. That's the present. Magnificent, isn't it? Believe in Jesus. Your destiny is certain. And now Jesus takes us to the future, to, to the very last day. Now that day will be like what's happened here in John 5. Jesus will speak and like the paralysed man, the dead will rise up. And like he did with the paralysed man, Jesus will give his judgment. Those who have done good, in context, the context of what we just read, verse 24, that is those who believe in Jesus and who demonstrate the reality of their faith by their actions. Those who have done good will have life. But those who have done evil, in context of what we've read, everyone whose sin remains unforgiven because they haven't trusted Jesus, those who have done evil will be condemned. That is the will of God the Father and that is what the Son will do. Verse 25. I tell you the truth. A time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself and he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Daniel 7. Do not be amazed at this. For a time is coming when all who are in their graves will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. By myself I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear and my judgment is just for I seek not to please myself but him who sent me. Alright, that's as far as we're going today. You see what's here, John chapter 5 verses 1 to 30. Jesus does this miracle. He raises the paralytic on the Sabbath and judges him. 
The Jewish authorities challenge Jesus, but he, but he explains this miracle, it is a model of what will happen on the ultimate Sabbath. It, it's a model of what will happen at the last day. On the ultimate last day, Jesus says that he will raise all of the dead and be the judge. Friends, the application of this passage to you and to me, as we think about applying it to ourselves, it's pretty clear what we need to do, isn't it? A day is coming when Jesus will speak. You and I will be raised up from the dead and we will face the Lord Jesus in judgment. On that day, if you have relied on Jesus, if he is your saviour, then you will be forgiven and it will be a day of immense joy. The beginning of an eternity of joy. But if you are not relying on the Lord Jesus Christ, you will face condemnation for your sin. It's as stark and as simple as that. Friends, we need to rely on Jesus. That's the application for us. We need to rely on Jesus. God gave him to die so that everyone who believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We need to be among those who believe in him, not just in our minds. And that belief needs to work itself out into a life of serving Jesus. But the thing that strikes me about John chapter 5 is this. Jesus, he didn't just say all this stuff. He didn't just claim to be able to raise the dead and judge the dead on the last day. I mean, anyone could make that claim, couldn't they? Anyone could say, your eternal destiny depends on me. Usually that'll be accompanied by a request for your money, won't it? Anyone can say it, but how would you know? And anyway, like we said at the beginning, it's impossible. Dead bodies don't rise up. You can talk to a dead body all day and nothing will happen. You can pass as many judgments on a dead body as you want. It will make no difference. It is irrelevant. Do you know what? If you just had John 5, 16 to 30, and Jesus making these claims, I'm going to raise all the dead and, and, and judge the world, you'd write it off as the ravings of a madman, wouldn't you? I don't get why people say Jesus is this great teacher. No! He reckons that he will raise you from the dead and be your judge. That's not nice teaching. That is the ravings of a madman. Except that there's verses 1 to 15. And they make Jesus... Well, they make him completely different. Don't they? They, they make him... They make, make him unique because, because he hasn't just said it. He's done this impossible miracle. He's, he's pictured the future and he's demonstrated his power to fulfil it. And John saw it all with his own eyes. He saw Jesus raise up this paralytic and that's why he's writing his gospel to tell us what he saw because he knows Jesus is real and different. And of course, as we continue in John's gospel, he's going to tell us even more things we, that he saw, like, like when he raised Lazarus from the grave after four days, or, or like when God himself raised Jesus from the dead, ultimately never to die again. The disciples saw that. They touched him. They, they touched his hands and his side. And they knew this is not just words. Jesus is the real thing. 
the genuine article. He can do, he will do the impossible. He will raise you from the dead and judge you. That is your future. Friends, as far as we can tell, the dead don't rise. But neither do men have been lying paralyzed for 38 years, do they? You can see that Jesus is different, can't you? He can do this. He will do this. And that means that your eternal destiny, it hangs entirely on what you do about this man, Jesus. I reckon the only way for us to respond to God's word here is to pray. To say, yes, Lord, I do believe in Jesus. Please, please give me this eternal life you promised. But, but I, I don't think it should just be me praying here this morning. I reckon we should all be praying. So what I've done in your outline here, I've written a prayer. Let, let me read it to you. Can you see it on your outline there on the right-hand side? I'm going I'm to read it to you and then I'm going to pray it for myself. And I'll invite you to pray it with me. Pray it in your head if you're shy. Pray it out loud if you want to. Stand up and sing it and shout it if you want to, as far as I'm concerned. Here's the prayer. Whether, you pray this for the, whether you're praying this for the first time today or for the thousandth time, I don't mind. See if this is how you want to respond to God today. Let me read the prayer to you. It says, Heavenly Father, I admit that I haven't loved and obeyed you as you deserve. I've done evil. I deserve your condemnation. Thanks that you gave Jesus to die in my place. Thanks for your promise, John 5, 24, that all who believe in Jesus have eternal life and will not be condemned. I believe in Jesus. Please do forgive me. Give me eternal life. Help me to live from now on with Jesus as my King and Saviour. In Jesus' name, amen. Is that how you'd like to respond to God's word today? You feel very welcome to join me as we pray. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I haven't loved and obeyed you as you deserve. I've done evil. I deserve your condemnation. Thanks that you gave Jesus to die in my place. Thanks for your promise that all who believe in Jesus have eternal life and will not be condemned. I believe in Jesus. Please do forgive me and give me eternal life. Help me to live from now on with Jesus as my King and Saviour. In Jesus' name.